Hello, my name is Michael Albert, and I am the host of the podcast that's titled Revolution Z. This is our 111th episode, and its title is Autonomy Within Solidarity, Large Movements or Small Collectives. These are, I think, two important trade-offs, I guess you could say, or opposed possibilities that go into trying to win fundamental change. So, let's begin. To start with autonomy within solidarity. One of the pervasive problems of the U.S. left is fragmentation. Really, nobody denies that. One of the abiding strengths of the U.S. left is diversity. I don't think anybody denies that either. The problem that I would like to raise about this situation is, how do we overcome fragmentation without losing diversity? People do not automatically develop multifocused political priorities. As individuals, we have different life experiences, and these sensitize us to some aspects of social life more than to others. As individuals, we suffer some pains more than we suffer others. We discern some oppressions more aggressively than we discern others. We pursue some agendas more militantly than we do others. As individuals, when we dissent, we often focus on one oppression more than on others, and on one intellectual and activist orientation more than on others. We develop movements of national, racial, and cultural communities, of women, gays, and lesbians, of workers and of young people. And around such focuses as race, religious bigotry, gender, sexuality, poverty, class, authority, war and peace, and ecology, and many others. The downside of this multifacetedness is that none of these agendas can be accomplished by only those who see it as their first priority. A single vast apparatus with many mutually enforcing dimensions enforces our oppressions. It is too damn powerful and too damn entrenched, both in institutions and in people's behaviors, including our own, to succumb to partial assaults. Separate efforts dilute our strength and compete with each other for allegiance, priority, resources, and status. The upside of our multifacetedness is that each separate effort better utilizes the insights of those who are most attuned to the complexities of its focus than would any single orientation that subsumed all the rest. Trying to use one single orientation inevitably subsumes much of what is dynamic and influential in each area, picking out only a few central features to address. Worse, it might imperially extend the views characterizing one area, as with Marxism at times, or radical feminism at times, or anarchism at times, elevating economics, or gender, or the state, and reducing other phenomena in the process. This would not only exclude a lot from our analysis, it would often prescribe aims for parts of society contrary to the needs of those most oppressed in those parts, rather than determined by them. So we criticize fragmenting into single-focused efforts because they weaken the total movement and even each component by fragmenting energies, inducing competitions, and so on. But we also appreciate these laser-focused efforts because they elevate the true needs of those who feel each type of oppression most directly. Think of the civil rights movement, the women's movement, the hippie movement, the labor movement, and the anti-Vietnam War movement of decades back. Or think of the more recent incarnations of these anti-racist, anti-sexist, labor, and peace struggles, with the addition of gay and lesbian movements, the green movement, and even sub-movements among the unemployed, religious, and racial sectors, or vegetarians, or vegans. The strengths of focus and weakness of fragmentation are evident. Now we have still another round of focus and fragmentation. Political parties, 
media projects, and an endless stream of single-issue national, regional, and local organizing efforts. Why isn't there more unity? Why don't lots of political parties, media projects, or organizing projects merge into a single encompassing party, media, or activist project? Or even better, why don't they merge with one another across all these lines into one big movement? Surely the gains in enlarged outreach, increased membership and power, and economies of scale are pretty obvious. If each party, periodical, project, and movement is a potential thread and a large mosaic, why don't the threads intertwine so that we get a garment rather than just a jumble of discordant strings going, well, really nowhere? Well, each party, project, periodical, and movement has little time for what they see as spurious efforts at unity that won't advance their day-to-day -day survival and may even siphon energies from it. More, each worries that in unity its priorities will be given only lip service, or worse. Each worries its voice, leaders, and aims will be subsumed by the scope of a larger ally or overrun by the energy of a smaller one. Those groups that are larger bemoan the hassle of taking on other efforts involving peculiar people and their fanatical attention to peripheral or distracting details. And those groups that are smaller wonder why they should dilute their serious intentions and risk subordination to the less radical views of larger efforts. Regardless of size, everyone wonders, why should we reduce our prioritization of race, or class, or gender, or sex, or war, or ecology, or reduce our special understanding and commitment, and our radicalism, by aligning with groups that have agendas emphasizing something we feel to be of lower priority, or insufficiently radical, or too extreme for that matter. In the face of all these concerns, which have confronted movements for every day of every year of my politically involved life from roughly 1967 to now, I would like to suggest a possible proposal for a way forward. It involves advocating a new kind of unity, advocating a new type of organizational structure and relations, and taking a few simple first steps. In the past, working together has generally meant creating a coalition. You take the agendas and understandings of each potential ally and you survey them for features in common. Then, a generally temporary coalition is built around the common aims. The process involves little mutual involvement. Each side tries to benefit itself in the context of a temporary intersection of some priorities. Typically, each ally tries to entice members from the other to build its own constituency. If there is a way to subsume an ally or infiltrate an ally so that one's own organization is all that remains when the dust clears, well, that's okay too. Here is a different attitude. Suppose working together means merging agendas in a lasting larger framework designed to pursue collective efforts and mutual support, while also retaining them intact for one's own separate efforts. Using an example from the past, suppose the anti-Vietnam War movement, the hippies, the civil rights movement, the women's movement, and the national welfare rights movement from decades back were going to get together. It would always be for some limited event or project chosen because it was amenable to all, with everything else about the groups remaining separate, non-interactive, non-supportive, and often even competitive. What if instead these groups and others had retained their identities but also merged into a lasting larger structure that wasn't the least common denominator of their laundry lists of concerns, that is the modest amount that they could all agree completely on, but was instead the greatest common sum of their agendas, that is, the total of all of them combined with no deletions.
And what if each group pledged its support to the others for anything within the other's primary domain that they undertook, accepting leadership from each other for each other's priority areas? And what if this meant that the anti-war movement, for example, would turn out support, provide person power, and even share material resources with the civil rights movement for a campaign the latter initiated, and vice versa? Take this image to the present. You still have each project periodical movement, and they still function in and of themselves autonomously, with their own priorities in place, developing their own views and agendas. But on top of this, they also exist within a larger structure. Let's call that larger structure SAM, the Solidarity with Autonomy movement, for a moment. SAM's agenda is the sum total of the agenda of all its affiliates. Its consciousness is the sum total of the consciousness of all its affiliates. Its board is composed of representatives from all its affiliates. Its budget is based on direct fundraising as well as proportionate contribution from all its affiliates. SAM in turn gives support to projects in tune with affiliate needs and potentials. What about conflicts? Two periodicals or projects or movements or organizations in SAM have different views on some issue. How can such contradictory positions be held within one large overarching organization? Well, as long as becoming part of SAM is a self-conscious choice that has to be ratified by existing members so that basic agreements are preserved and enlarged, why not? Why is this so hard? It means that there is always need for patient investigation, discussion, and assessment of differences, and in time, one hopes, progress toward greater agreement. But until agreement on some controversial matter is reached, contrasting views exist and are respected in SAM. Though if one comes from an affiliate whose focus is that area, and the other is from an affiliate whose focus is elsewhere, the former predominates in SAM program. In other words, the people in the women's movement dominate regarding women's issues. The people in the peace movement dominate regarding peace issues, and so on. Dominate's probably the wrong word. Set the agenda. There is no point pursuing all the many complex variants and possibilities of organizational arrangement, definition, and structure in this. The basic image is of an umbrella organization that encompasses and includes, supportively and respectively, a vast range of progressive and left undertakings. SAM is the greatest sum of all these affiliates. It exists to enhance each affiliate and the whole. Each affiliate understands that they have to be less purist and more willing to support a larger and therefore more diverse organization and to live with differences. There is no presumption that one or another affiliate, affiliate has all the answers. There is a presumption that all the answers that we now have are embodied within SAM as a whole, and that a mechanism for testing their worth and finding new ones, however fitfully at times, exists. The critical first issue is who is included, what movements, projects, periodicals, organizations. We clearly couldn't just say, come one, come all. There would have to be norms and structure, and new recruits would have to fit well in the eyes of those who are already affiliated. Sam would have to be serious and committed, and each new inclusion would have to be acceptable to all those already involved, to maintain levels of trust and participation. Suppose, as but one example, not too long ago, Representatives from the Greens, the New Party, the Labor Party, the Campaign for a New Tomorrow, and now got together with the purpose of creating SAM. Or suppose now it was 
Black Lives Matter, the Greens, DSA, Our Revolution, a union or two, the People's Party, and some more. Those initiating such an effort would have to hammer out its structural norms. For example, a clear understanding of what allegiance implies, a dues structure, how resources are distributed to affiliates and to overall projects, how SAM-sponsored campaigns and projects are originated, what SAM affiliates have to do vis-a-vis -vis one another, and so on. Whatever they felt was needed, they would decide. Then they would presumably take their idea to some other constituency groups, projects, organizations, agreeable to each of the initial groups. Perhaps they go to the Nation or to Z, or perhaps they go to Greenpeace or the Institute for Policy Studies. Slowly and steadily, the growing structure could reach out to include national, regional, and even local organizing projects, periodicals, and movement organizations. Would SAM ideally include everyone who calls themselves progressive? I doubt it. But it could certainly be a very large and diverse formation, with a huge impact on solidarity and on the ability of progressive and left elements to focus their efforts effectively. Is this a pipe dream? I don't know. It seems to me that the idea of preserving the autonomy of each affiliate, while fostering solidarity among them, would respect both the need for unity and the need for diversity. Without some mechanism like this, some forum that could facilitate a sharing of ideas, views, and agendas, host honest debates, and discuss differences, pursue collective programs, share insights, and merge human support, and enlarge, share, and sensibly allocate resources, it seems that we may not go forward very far. With some structure like SAM, however, it seems that, if not clear, the way is at least passable. The fact is, Many people of goodwill are not doing very well right now. It's time to take a chance. As an old saying goes, there is little to lose and a whole lot to gain. Either what we have, spread across the United States in all its myriad forms, is a basis on which we can build, which I tend to believe, in which case the SAM-type approach, or something like it, seems a viable and needed first step forward, or what we have is not even worth much as a starting place, and we have to create something entirely new from scratch. If that's the case, then we better figure that out sooner rather than later. What about the second issue that this episode's title raises, large movements or small collectives? This is not unrelated to the first issue, since Sam, as described, is all about moving from smaller to larger. This second issue is hard for me to even describe. It arises here due to a conversation I had with a close friend. He related that in his locale, a highly activist area in the country, his impression was that young activists no longer even have a conception of mass movements. It isn't even that they have doubts. They just don't consider the large at all. Rather, they think only in terms of small groups, closely interconnected, basically groups of trusting friends. These are their units of activism. These are where they see themselves radical, activists. And there is barely a notion, or even literally no notion at all, of trying to generate mass activism, mass movement. I don't know how widely this picture applies. But if it is widespread, of course, people who know one another working with one another, doing so collectively, with high unity, and with shared aims, is a fine thing. The issue is, do these personal units see themselves as the only repository of radicalism? Or do they see themselves as part and parcel of much larger projects, of movements which they contribute to, which they seek to inspire and promote, and which are, in the end, the actual agents of change? If being tight with friends for freedom, so to speak, let's call it, 
is the paramount conception, even the only conception, then the friends working together will do so with little attention, or perhaps even with no attention, to how their choices impact anything other than their opponent and themselves. What will be missing, I would suggest, or if not entirely missing, way understated, is impact on developing consciousness and commitment of people outside the local group of highly trusted and even almost intimate friends. One such group is unlikely in that case to consciously coordinate with other such groups, much less to conceive its own actions in light of trying to unify with others, much less in light of trying to affect those not yet trusted, those who do not yet agree. In fact, there may even be antipathy toward any possibility of larger unity, a kind of doubt that getting on with others would introduce anything other than grounds for difference, for doubt, even for hostility. So let's go it alone. Of course, at the opposite extreme, if proponents of creating mass unity and momentum are oblivious to the separate actors and their needs, oblivious to having trust and caring relations for those participating from others participating, that too is a recipe for failure. So why can't we realize that change doesn't arrive from little units of friends functioning with no eye toward broader unity and broader agendas and broader solidarity and consciousness raising? And why can't we also simultaneously realize that eyes on the mass effort, but without attention to the actual local proximate feelings of people, the need for direct personal support, creates large numbers on the back of weak foundations, again, falling short of what's needed for sustained success. Atoms in motion, whether individuals or small teams of friends, with no regard for becoming masses in motion, won't win. But masses in motion, with no regard for creating strong, trusting, personal components among participants, also won't win. As with solidarity and autonomy, so too for large movements and small collectives. In neither case should there be opposition in either thought or attitude or activity. In both cases, autonomy and solidarity, and also large movements and small collectives, one without the other promises failure. Both entwined can succeed. And now, can I make a brief pitch? Revolution Z needs direct help from you who listen to the episodes, if it is to persist and grow. No progressive or other venue than ZNet makes Revolution Z available. Not one, to my knowledge. And indeed, Revolution Z is certainly quite different in its focus and priorities than what other such venues are used to. If Revolution Z listeners, who frequent one or another venue, would indicate to them in comments or in letters to them, that Revolution Z would certainly appreciate being reposted and conveyed, and that it would be a good addition to their fare. Maybe one or two would take up that option. I hope you will consider that that might be worth some effort. And, all that said, this is Michael Albert, signing off until next time for Revolution Z.